Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, we have a series, Danny, in the Western Conference. It looked like after Game 1, it could just be a complete woodshedding for the Jazz against the Rockets. But au contraire, the Jazz stormed out to a 56-37 lead. Houston came all the way back to take the lead. And then Utah, showing impressive resilience, holds on. They take it 116-108 and led pretty well down the last four or five minutes of the game by 10. What did you take away from this game in a macro sense? other than of course tim mcmahon's reaction to donovan mitchell's tip dunk which uh is really the most important thing to come out of this game it is if we're being candid about it and early on i thought utah did a lot of damage by slipping screens but i don't take a lot out of that because i thought houston did a much better job handling it by the end of the game and so unless they fall into the problem that indiana did late in their series against the Cavs, where they forgot what worked i think houston will be okay with that but i think the 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 other story here beyond well, well, can Houston's we hit on that first point seemingly first i mean sure of course you know, yeah I, I think houston can clean that up but i mean they played no defense for the first half of this game i mean they probably gave up like 10 dunks in the first half of this game to mostly to big men just slipping the pick and roll and capella and trevor ariza in particular defended like they'd never met each other in their lives and they just ended up double teaming the ball then the guys who were guarding players in the corner a lot of times it was a royce o'neal type of level a shooter or an alec burks or a dante exum weren't helping out either they really just didn't appear to have any kind of a plan whatsoever against those plays and like they were first off then you know gobert would just straight slip the screen before even really setting it and so there'd be guys too far up to the level of the screen and then gobert would slip it and the rest of the defense took forever to rotate or or favors would on, on some of those plays too then they finally started having utah changed up a little bit and they had gobert set the screen and then when they did that mitchell was able to get into the lane and, and he was uh only shot six out of 21 but was great with 11 assists and then when they actually started setting the screen uh they would just put two guys on the ball trevor reza just never switched back you know they've been great switching everything the entire season and they're just letting gobert run straight to the room it's just an easy pass right to the middle for, for a dunk it was awful i'm not sure they're necessarily putting two guys on the ball or trevor reza was not leaving yeah, the ball yeah but functionally speaking that's the same thing so utah shot chart for that first half I think this is instructive. 15 of 18 in the restricted area. That's a ton of attempts, but also... Yeah, and and these are like wide course. open dunks, mostly. Yeah, overwhelmingly so. And then 0 for 7 in the in the paint non-restricted area. 1 for 2 from mid-range. And 7... Or sorry, 8 for 16 from 3. Does that distribution sound like somebody you yeah, know? Yeah, it sounds like the Houston Rockets, except for uh, getting to the foul line, of course. And... Well, they got there 13 times in the first, yeah, in first yeah, half. It's, uh, it's not quite Houston but it's it's pretty good pretty close and they and it's also important one of the things that nearly 
really ended up mattering in this game was that they missed a bunch of free throws. Over, they missed five free throws in the first half, missed 10 in the overall game, but they were still able to come away with the win. If this game had been closer, I think we would have been talking about that. So seven dunks in the first half it was for Utah. I also thought that Gobert was big early, just getting under the lane. And as the Jazz would rotate the ball and someone would drive, he did a good job of sealing off Clint Capella. Royce O'Neal got a dunk on a play like that that we highlighted uh, during the Twitter NBA show. Um, but so so that was really bad for Houston. Like that's where they lost this game was their first half defense was not good enough. But but as you mentioned, they cleaned it up in the second half, I thought. They did. And they also relied on James Harden's just incomparable ability to draw fouls in that third quarter to to get the... Was that the third well, quarter or no, was that the well, fourth? Just to get everybody was, in yeah, trouble. I mean, it started yeah the at the end second. of the second with the, that foul with Ingles uh just jogging back down court and Harden just going right into his path I mean how on earth that isn't an offensive foul I will never know like how is James Harden more entitled to that space than Joe Ingles when at the last minute he just makes a non-basketball move you're, I'm sorry 80 feet from the basket with no one on him you're not expecting James Harden to just go horizontally across the court and go into someone's path I mean it's just it was absolutely ridiculous like Ingles was even and Ingles wasn't no. guarding him. He was just doing his own thing. Like, if it were a case of, like, oh, you pick somebody up full court or you're trying to get a steal, maybe, 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 maybe it's a little bit different. It was none of those things. It was a complete just garbage call and interpretation of that rule. Yeah, that one's got to go. Paul is another guy who loves to do that. Um, But I thought in the second half, you mentioned Harden's foul drawing. I mean, especially towards the end when they started what would have been the least exciting comeback in NBA history as it just every time Don was like a fast break and then like getting a foul call that was like kind of dubious but was a foul but was also just a ticky tack like annoying Houston foul which and I I respect James Harden and Chris Paul for the way they're able to draw fouls but that doesn't mean I have to enjoy watching it when they get into that mode uh effective though it is but I thought the biggest difference for Houston in the second half was they actually just started playing a lot more physically defensively the Jazz were actually struggling to move in to set their screens they were when Rudy Gobert bear would try to slip the screen he would get chucked by the guy who was guarding him he just couldn't roll as quickly you know the jazz maybe got a little tired and stopped moving with quite as much force and so they're able to get back into it and you thought really once houston tied the game utah only had seven points in the first seven minutes of the third quarter you're like i mean because it's like the jazz when they're struggling to score it looks like they're just never going to score again right against these switching defense we saw that against uh, okc but then somehow they did find the rhythm again and they did and uh, an important in this game not the first time in these playoffs though it's surprising every time Alec Burks has been revived and the biggest thing that Alec Burks provided to the Jazz was a sense of urgency when he had the ball in his hands he pushed basically every single time he had the ball and that forced Houston into awkward circumstances sometimes that forced help he got some nice finishes brought back the Houdini a little bit with 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 certain plays in, in both halves and that I think transferred a little bit to Exum at moments I thought there were some parts of this game where Exum looked absolutely great. He did have a couple beautiful possessions on Harden, also had that nasty dunk, probably the best dunk I've ever seen from him at any level. And Mitchell at times was that as well. And I think one of the parts that really swung this game, though it isn't offensively related, it does relate to aggressiveness, is that I thought Mitchell's third foul, and I think, I can't remember if it was his first or second, he had two tough fouls in the first half, that part of what sabotaged Utah's defense in that third quarter was James Harden going at Donovan 
Mitchell and Donovan Mitchell doing his absolute best to not commit a fourth foul. Yeah, and I thought Mitchell's approach wasn't great either. I mean, he was trying to force Harden to his right, but what he would do is, you know, he'd kind of be canted that way a little bit, and then he would try to just like creep up closer even more towards Harden's size. And Harden is just so smart that anytime you move towards him, he'll just take off. And just even that one step that you're taking towards him, you're sunk down. I mean, momentum is, you know, such an important thing in basketball. So with five minutes remaining in the third, the Jazz actually trailed it by three. And from that point on, they outscored the Rockets 44 to 33. And the biggest problem for the Rockets in this game really was shot making. We can talk all we want about the Jazz playing better. And that certainly was the case. But the Utah Jazz went 15 out of 32 from three on largely difficult attempts, although Joe Ingles got some really open ones. And the Houston Rockets went 10 out of 37. Harden was two for 10. Paul was two for five. Eric Gordon was three for six. But the the variable guys for Houston, right? Ariza, one for four. Tucker, one for five. Tucker missed two huge ones late that I thought really could have been important in their comeback. Gordon missed a wide open one late as well as they're starting to get back into contact. And Bob Mutai, he only played 16 minutes. He was 0 for 2, negative 10. And so that, that was a big part of it. And the Jazz, for their part, I mean, Ingles, he hits had some open ones. He hit some really difficult ones. I mean, he was hitting like off the dribble contested shots against Clint Capella you know like where is this from you know joe ingles at age 30 i mean continues to add to his game some i never thought that he would have a prayer of scoring off the dribble against someone like capella but yet he was pretty good and then i thought utah also had a lot of success late attacking james harden which i'd been waiting for some team to do this and it finally happened and harden did a little better than i expected actually but the jazz were getting pretty good stuff first because they didn't want to switch it uh switch mitchell or harden onto mitchell and then they mitchell was getting into the lane and he made a couple of bad decisions but uh i thought that that strategy worked pretty well especially considering that harden found himself in foul trouble yeah it's remarkable that it it takes so long for teams to figure out the right ways to exploit bad defenders because it's so uniform you know it it really isn't that different with harden as ennis canner or a lot of these other guys it is a little bit just because of where harden is on the floor and the start of a possession but generally speaking the approach is the same and something else i i think we should mention in kind of the story of this game is they have mitigated this by Clint Capella having such a wonderful season, PJ Tucker and Mba Mute coming in. But the artist formerly known as Ryan Anderson is shocking in the at least in the series. It could be just him coming back from injury. But even in the seven minutes Anderson played, you barely even noticed that he was out there. And that's a problem for Houston now that Utah can attack from so many different places. Yeah, and I think part of it is coming back from the injury. Part of it is just they know they need a more defensive bent. But yeah, I mean Anderson shooting is part of what really just makes this team completely unguardable you know with Tucker out there with Ariza eh, you know I mean there's places uh that you can hide it and Capella especially when Capella goes out of the game if they don't have Anderson in there they tried Gerald Green a little bit you know I didn't think he was very effective he gives uh he can make defensive mistakes Anderson won't necessarily make mistakes but uh he is pretty slow and, and doesn't fit as well into the switch well he did he did make a mistake on that bad closeout on was that Burks oh yeah he had, where, where he, he fouled him in the one. act yeah um yeah yeah you mentioned burks and his pushing the pace we talked about it at the very beginning that and we said it on last time's dunked on that houston number one you're giving up a lot of points anyway well th- this is more in the context of 
offensive rebounding but you're giving up a lot of points to houston anyway and when they're switching they're very good at shrinking the floor and utah could struggle to score in the half court and houston they want to play deliberately they want to get fouled on every possession and go to the free throw line chris harden and james paul don't want to push the ball up and so it makes a lot of sense and capella is always going to be going for offensive rebound and so if you can beat capella down the floor and get to the rim you're not going to really have anyone there to protect the rim houston doesn't have any other rim protectors really uh pj tucker's a, a solid help defender but not a guy who's gonna you know really block shots or deter you too much at the rim and so they pushed the ball with exum with burks in particular mitchell it was great to see it and this game I mean, there's over 100 possessions in this game which is a very fast game utah played at one of the slowest paces in the league in the regular season that's because quinsari wants to move the ball he wants everyone to get involved but that doesn't really work as well against the switching defense and so you might as well push it up and try to get in the lane i thought that burks in particular with his 17 points in 22 minutes and exum did a fantastic job of that and they really got a lot of extra points there they got some threes and even though they're only credited with 10 fast break points just attacking in the first half off of houston misses uh they're able to get something you know in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock a lot of times because there was a bad matchup or just the help wasn't quite loaded yet or whatever and i thought transition really played into what they were able to do in this game importantly it also factored in late and one of my biggest criticisms of teams with a lead is that they don't attack enough early in the shot clock and just see if they can get something and they had a big joe ingles three off a broken coverage i think it was mitchell that pushed the ball on that one might have been exum and the reason you do that is because if you can get a layup or a dunk early there there isn't much better than that even if it gets the other team the ball earlier because now they have to make up those two points and teams get too conservative so the idea that i've tried to articulate before is that a team that is in the lead should be judicious but they should still be active and i thought utah they weren't perfect on that but i thought they were a lot better in that approach than they were let's say in game five of the okc series where they were just kind of tentative and weird and then they would force up all these bad game six as well in that series i thought it was even more pronounced because that's when they were up i think by 10 with about five minutes left much as they were in this game they put the ball in the freezer and you know it was only a couple of heroic plays by mitchell that were able to get them through there and houston did stage a a furious rally but as we said the three-point shooting went wanting for them um should we do a short segment on donovan mitchell's tip dunk (laughs) well yeah i mean he goes into the lane throws up an extremely awkward floater and his floater game was off he took he took a lot of bad shots in this game i thought but uh, uh, and earlier in the clock than really they might have preferred a couple of bad threes a lot of plays where he just got into trouble from floater range and threw it up he did have the 11 assists is an excellent passing game from him uh but he made some bad decisions this was not a great decision but then he turned it into a great decision because it came off the front of the room and it wasn't like it came off the front of the room and like bounced way in the air it bounced like right back towards him but hard and how he managed get in the air that quickly and then dunk it before anyone else could get there i mean he he just dunked it before three rockets could even react clint capel is the only one who even got off the ground and then like the hang on the rim afterwards uh with the one hand was just awesome uh and then uh, mcmahon's reaction uh because they actually had an angle which showed like the media guys in the background so mcmahon covers his mouth but then he also brings his other hand on top of his own head and it was like he was he was concerned that his head was going to explode if he didn't like use his hands to just keep everything in place it, it was awesome I mean, we obviously we we went nuts when we were doing the tour nba show too uh it was really i mean i don't know if it was the best dunk of the year but it, it was probably a top fiver to me what ratcheted up the degree of difficulty is that it wasn't a runner where mitchell's momentum was carrying him particularly yeah. towards the basket he pretty much stopped and shot it flat-footed and then somehow st- 
still got up ahead of everybody else. It, I guess you call it a second jump. It was kind of like this weird hybrid between a second jump and a first jump just because of how weird the first shot was. But it came out of nowhere. And this game had more than a few dunks that seemingly came out of nowhere. I mean, you had that one, which was spectacular. Exums. And also James Harden got one all over Derek Favors in this game as well with, his, with you know, going to his natural left hand and just kind of cutting it past him. But that was a really nice play as well. And I thought it was good that Utah kind of struck a better balance with favors. The favors go bear lineups aren't working particularly well in this series. So they're just going to him less using other approaches that also can allow favors to be a little bit more aggressive in the minutes that he does play. We didn't see a ton of that, but it can use it and he can still slip screens well, but favors again, still had trouble with Harden and Chris Paul on switches. There was one play I, I thought Gobert in large part was really good. He struggles a lot more when Capella is in the game and Capella and Harden just have such an amazing chemistry that Harden is able to make Gobert commit and then find a way to slip it to Capella. I mean, Capella might have had like eight dunks in this game himself. He was 10 out of 15. And I, I want to say he might have had nine dunks. I think he had one offensive rebound where he went back with like a nice hook shot. Uh, and seemingly almost all of those were set up by Harden. Uh, but Gobert, I, I tweeted out this play. It was about seven minutes left in the game. Actually, it was when it was very close. It was 95 94 at this point. He stops an Eric Gordon drive and then he stuck on gordon on a switch another drive comes in it's pj tucker gobert comes over snuffs that out they throw the ball tucker throws the ball to the corner and the guy the guy in the corner is covered and gordon the guy that gobert was initially on has moved out to the wing at at the three-point line gobert as soon as pj tucker makes that pass that he forced knows that he is now switched onto gordon sprints out to the three-point line runs gordon off the line forces him to drive and then donovan mitchell steals gordon's next pass but any other center in the nba probably you know unless it's like draymond green or someone that ends up being an open three-pointer and rudy gobert who might be the best rim protecting center in the nba also makes that play and that was really just incredible work from him uh dante exum did wonderful work on james harden he did pick up quite a few fouls but harden really could not get much going one-on-one against exum i thought that he would be a little too strong for him uh i thought that the jazz probably or that the rockets probably should have tried a little bit more to get harden on of the matchups they wanted they had success on that with mitchell um and mitchell actually narrowly avoided a sixth foul a couple of times on that play where uh he forced harden into a shot clock violation i thought he was he probably should have gotten his sixth foul on that play um and didn't uh royce o'neill did a very nice job on james harden I mean, the jazz have a lot of guys who can make james harden work and then you have gobert back there at the room and, and the three-point shooting harden took a lot off the dribble he can make those but they did a much much better job of actually contesting that shot Harden was not creating the separation he had a couple of air balls a couple of misses really short because and and it was one of those ones where he released you're like oh that's a great contest there's no way he's making it you know whereas in the first game yeah it's a step back it's a tough shot for a lot of guys but you're like yeah he got separation he got a clean look there though and he got a few of those in this game but not many they went under on him one time uh and he was able to hit one hit a three but you know he only got eight three-point attempts instead of 12 in the previous game I'm sorry he got 10 instead of 12 in the previous game and was two out of 10 um and you can say that houston shot the ball very poorly 10 out of 37 from three um a lot of those threes came late too the jazz actually were out had more three-point attempts than them throughout most of the game but the jazz also were 15 out of 25 from the foul line you know they had a lot of misses gobert crowder both missed seven free throws between them so you can make the argument there for the jazz as well um so what do we take away now where, where is the series at as we go back to utah which will be a rather raucous crowd at Vivint smart home arena the way i was going 
going to ask this to you was we both predicted this series to go five games. My read right now is that I think it's going to go six and might even go seven because Utah has figured more out early than I expected, but I think Houston will make more shots. So I think that'll balance out, but they won't be playing at home. So Utah, I think they have a much better sense now of what they need to do offensively in this series. And I mean, Houston's, they've figured out how to use Houston switching against them. Another example, which we will probably see with whoever makes it out of this series of iron sharpening iron in an earlier round of the playoffs, you know, OKC having the success that they did against Utah forced Utah into some of the adjustments that are working well in the series. But I don't think they're going to create as many like, you know, the Ingles explosion in the first quarter. A lot of that yeah. was on open shot. The other ones were self-created. Like, those sorts of things are going to tone down. 27 points on 13 shooting possessions in this game. It's a career high. Because yeah, he didn't get yeah, to the line. career high. So, so the, yeah, there are elements like that, that that you don't think are going to continue. But the Jazz can play this well again. Absolutely. I mean, and I think they can play better defense. They played well, but I think they can play better defense in this and, and the support of a home crowd. So I am, I feel like it is a lot more likely that this is going to be a long series than I thought before game one. Yeah, we picked it in five. Usually those gentlemen sweeps are home team wins two, one out of two at home for the road team, and then gentlemen sweep it in the fifth game. And so what I want to see from Houston, if they're really the, you know, the team that we think that they are, and this is a very good jazz team that's been underrated all year, uh, is okay, you slipped up. They played very poorly defensively. You know, James Harden had the quote of, you know, we can't go down by 19 no matter who we're playing uh, in the first half. Their effort level defensively was atrocious. You know, second half, they looked better, but the Jazz were able to close still. You know, I mean, that's that was one of the really impressive parts uh, of this game. And the Jazz, the Jazz are going to keep coming in this series. They are not going to give up. They're going to keep making adjustments. They're going to find things. Houston is going to have to stay a step ahead of them. But if you're really this championship contender, this awesome team that's playing at a 65 win level, despite a bunch of injuries in the regular season, you just win both these games. Huh? And especially with it looking like Golden State is going to have a short series, James Harden didn't have to play that many minutes in this game, you know, partially because of foul trouble. He sat out longer with Golden State. You know, maybe they lose in New Orleans, but if I had to pick it right now, I'd say that's going to be a sweep the way the teams have looked and the way Steph Curry looked coming back. Houston better like get their act together. If they lose one of these games in Salt Lake City, they'll still be massive favorites in the series. Uh, but it's uh, if they want to get to where they want to be, this needs to be a series where they take control and dominate Utah. While Rudy Gobert is an entirely different beast than what the Warriors do defensively, the activity and execution that the that the Warriors can use when they're engaged is sort of similar to, to what Utah has been able to do. And the amount of guys that Utah can throw at James Harden, Warriors can do that too. So if Houston kind of struggles with this, it will it'll kind of make me think about that series a little bit differently. I, I believe in Houston Houston's offense. I don't believe as much in their defense, but I still think they can they can put it together. So yeah, it'll be a, a challenge for the Rockets to to get all this together because the, the pressure's ought to be in the theoretical conference finals, which many, if not all of the people whose opinions I respect think is the would be the matchup of the best remaining teams because the East is so uninspired, they need to be ready for it. Yeah. Going forward, Houston doesn't want this series to have to rely on Chris Paul and James Harden. Do they make their tested three pointers or not? And you know, certainly Jay Crowder has been shooting out of his mind uh since game five of the OKC series. I can't remember how he was in game six of that series, but at least three of the last four games he's been awesome. Utah maybe get R- Ricky Rubio back as well with that hamstring issue. Uh and Ingles as well. It'd be very interesting to see whether he can continue this. I mean, not at this level, but I mean continue to make shots off the dribble because you know, like we said, against the switching defense, you're gonna have some possession that come down to having to create a shot one on one 
at the end uh in terms of adjustments i might like to see a little bit more luke and Mute from the rockets you know their problem was they couldn't stop and Bob Mute remains impossible to score on one-on-one you know having him out there i think really helped the defense he was negative 10 though in this game and, and as a guy who found additional confidence shooting the ball this year but then when you're coming back from injury you're trying to do it in the playoffs there's pressure on these shots you, know, you can very easily revert back to the non-shooter that you've been kind of your whole career uh so there's gonna be a lot of pressure on him maybe he's not the panacea you mentioned ryan anderson would you play ryan anderson more if, if you're houston not unless he plays better <laughs> yeah i mean they they can't he, he provides so little positive defensive value negative there and the four spacing certainly helps but i think utah can can handle that reasonably well so if he's hitting shots it's an option i would rather go a little bit more with nene capella and tucker than go with ryan anderson just because if you need to get it from eric from eric gordon i mean he played eric gordon played 34 minutes in this game that is the upper bound that i would use for him i would go more in those directions than than going with more ryan anderson unless and until he proves that he can handle taking the shots and making the shots that are a part of this offense a couple other quick notes uh, on this game we mentioned after game one the late switches that houston is able to cause right you come off the pick and roll and you kind of dance across the lane and you engage the that big man defender and then rudy gobert would get stuck to or Derek favors would get stuck to paul get stuck to harden that's a switch that utah didn't want to happen but it, it would happen late and then have to go out and guard them on the perimeter i think that only happened maybe one or two times this whole game and i think it was clear that the plan was okay he gets into the lane that's fine chris paul you want to jack a mid-ranger you know that's not houston's game even if it is chris paul's and i thought gobert did an amazing job of kind of playing possum getting paul to commit to that mid-ranger especially when capella is out of the game that really reduces the chance that the role man is going to get the ball uh and gobert was able to really challenge that mid-ranger from paul and force him to shoot a much lower percentage than he normally does harden yeah hit some floaters miss some floaters you know you're not committing a foul on that play at least you're not getting a dunk for capella but they did a wonderful job of in just conventional pick and roll defense after the beginning when uh capella was getting all sorts of dunks of not getting that switch where then harden or paul could just go to work uh, on the big away from uh, their comfort zone and so certainly for the rockets they're going to try to get those switches a, a little bit more you would think i mean chris paul was only eight out of 19 got some pretty ridiculous foul calls the one the one where i forget who it was maybe it was o'neal had like his hand on like paul's butt and paul somehow was able to like turn back into him far enough to like draw a rip through foul <laughs> like he turned like 270 degrees to draw this rip foul uh but you know that was a foul shouldn't put your hand on him whatever uh and, and i loved for the jazz all right trevor Ariza, pj tucker we're gonna make you make some shots especially on the road uh pj tucker you are not you are a built shooter you are not a natural shooter and those guys especially in the playoffs sometimes they'll come through they'll be big heroes sometimes you can see them kind of revert a little bit and uh you know maybe that happens in a tight game is it much easier to make those shots when you're up 25 in the first half like they were in game one something else we should mention and we'll talk about news later in the show but since he's related to the utah jazz as an assistant right now we can talk about the news that igor kokoskov has been selected and as the new head coach of the phoenix suns this has been a little awkwardly framed as him being the first european born head coach in the nba that is not rigidly true because eddie gottlieb who was the coach of the philadelphia warriors was born in in the ukraine but he is in the in the modern era i mean gottlieb coached back in the 50s so of the modern era kakoskov is the first and he has a lot of interest mark mark is gonna never appear on the podcast again if we don't pronounce it correctly no he'll just he'll just berate me he'll still appear on the podcast because you got it 
right. But but it's significant because of Kakashkov's connections, not only with European basketball, but also with NBA basketball. Yeah, obviously, he was a, a great coach for the Slovenian national team that went on a big run at Eurobasket this year. Goran Dragic, in his, when he was with the Suns as Dragic broke into the NBA, speaks extremely highly of him. We know that, of course, uh, Luka Doncic is someone that Kakashkov has coached, if that ends up being the pick for Phoenix. We'll see, of course, what happens in the lottery. Only two weeks to the lottery, by the way, when you said that on the show today. I was like, yes, thank God. That's uh, that's fantastic. But I think Kakashkov, you know, the Suns, where they are as an organization with what they reputedly pay, are not really a team that was going to get a top dollar established coach. They had met with Budenholzer. Those conversations did not go anywhere. And Kakashkov, to me, is just the antithesis of what they've had there in terms of a guy who really preaches ball movement, who is a system guy, you know, comes out of Quinn Snyder's system as coached all over the NBA, supposedly more of a relationship builder since he's been in the NBA than a lot of European coaches are known to be. Everyone speaks really highly of him. I think that Dragon Bender maybe could be maximized in his system if they're going to do a lot more stuff with the bigs handling the ball, moving the ball side to side, guys coming out of the corner that he can help make Devin Booker into an off-ball player, a smarter player where it's not just set piece here, go for a pick and roll, go for an ISO every time if in fact he tries to uh, implement similar principles to what we've seen from Quinsenar. It's going to be a long road back with Phoenix. They have a lot of raw young talent. They'll have even more with this draft. Uh, but I think Kokoshkov is, uh, you know, not knowing him personally, seems like the type of hire that is a move in the right direction for Phoenix. Agreed. And I want to see his imprint on this Suns team. They have a lot of pieces that are a part of it right now that could be moved theoretically if they don't fit in with the vision. Devin Booker seems like the one really stable piece. Josh Jackson is probably pretty close to that, but not as established because he hasn't been as good as Devin Booker has been. So we'll see if Doncic is even available to them. That is not known at this time. We'll have a better idea in two weeks for when, once the lottery happens. But I'm excited for it. And we always have trouble with assistant coaches because it's, you know, who gets the portion of the credit and the blame. But because Kokoshkov has this experience with a Slovenian team and those guys speak really highly of him and he's bounced around to different organizations, I think we have a better sense with him than with most. Yeah, and, and certainly Utah's success uh, and the admiration that everyone has for the way that they play uh, has been instrumental in him becoming a, a hot candidate. This also came down the pike after we recorded the news segment earlier today. Jamal Crawford will decline his player option. You'll recall that he was given the room exception a two-year deal, so his player option was for a little in the mid four million range and there were rumors that he was unhappy with his playing time that Tibbs didn't use the bench that much Jimmy Butler has said that he wants Crawford to return now is Jimmy Butler gonna play less than 39 minutes a game so that Crawford can actually play a little bit not that I think that that's a great notion but I think Crawford you know maybe he's made plenty of money in his career this is kind of a lifestyle type of choice for him you know another couple of million I'm not sure if he gets more than that maybe it just results in him going back to Minnesota for 120 percent of what he could have made of you know what he made last year he gets a little bit of a raise who knows what what this is going to be but i think it's it's very interesting crawford had a solid playoffs uh, so maybe and there are definitely teams that are interested in in his skill set i think there are organizations that value him far more than we do so even at his age i want to say he's 38 now he's in his late 30s i know that uh maybe uh, that will end up being a good business decision or at the very least a good lifestyle decision for him and we've seen players leave money on the table david West left a lot more on the table to go where he wanted to, to San Antonio originally. And Jamal Crawford could go in that route. And if he doesn't go back to Minnesota, we don't know whether or not that's the case.
case at this point. It also does clear out a little bit of the issues that Minnesota was having dealing with the luxury tax for the 2018-19 season. It, assuming Jimmy Butler comes back, whether that is on an extension or on a new contract as a free agent, Minnesota is going to get super expensive, but they can probably duck the tax for next season if they really want to. And Crawford makes that a lot more possible. They still have to deal with Cole Aldrich, figure out what they're doing with the Manu Bielitsa and their mid-level exception. But not having to pay Crawford $4.5 million if they don't have to pay him that could end up being a, a more significant thing once we see where their offseason goes. Yeah, they will have the 20th pick from OKC. They've lost, of course, their own pick, which goes to Atlanta. That was 19th. They only went down one there. But we'll have much more to say on their uh, offseason preview. But this is an interesting piece of data there. Well, I will mention briefly, because I, I, I don't know exactly when it's coming out, that I have a second piece. The Minnesota offseason preview is, is out for the Athletic Minnesota. But uh, John Krasuski and I did a collaborative piece, one of the a, a cool thing that we're trying out with the Athletic about a potential Jimmy Butler extension. And one of the ideas that gets floated in that involves cap space for this year. And so we had to retweak it a little bit with Jamal. But so that piece will come out, I'm hoping Thursday, possibly Friday, on, on uh, basically what the extension would be, something we'll, of course, talk about on Dunked On when we do their offseason preview. Well, I definitely owe my mom a lot, never more so than in this past year. She's been helping me a ton with wedding planning, help me buy a house. And this Mother's Day, you can help express your feelings for your mom through a floral work of art that is delivered straight to her door with FTD. And FTD is different from some other services because they actually enlist a local florist to arrange it for you. And it shows up already arranged. It was hand delivered to my door, just put into my hands. It wasn't just dropped off at the door. And I don't really know how to arrange flowers that well. So this worked out perfectly for me. And they sent it a little early, obviously, for Mother's Day since we're doing this campaign. And it still looks fresh over a week later now. So you can get 25% off a florist style bouquet for mom this Mother's Day. The way you do that is you go to ftd.com slash Mother's Day. Different URL than it usually is for us. ftd.com slash Mother's Day. That's ftd.com slash Mother's Day. One word, FTD. We can arrange that. Well then, Mr. LaRue, let us turn to the first of our off-season previews and one of the more interesting that we have on the board, the recently eliminated Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think we should just start by talking about the Paul George situation. He obviously can opt out of his contract, is nearly certain to do so. Just what are the financial advantages that OKC can have? Obviously, they don't have the designated player veteran extension or designated player veteran contract as it would be with his contract expiring this year available because he was traded away from the team that drafted him after the first four years of his career. However, they do still have a significant financial advantage to re-sign the 28-year-old this summer, Paul George. They certainly do. So the biggest thing that OKC can offer is that fifth season. And at 8% raises the current estimate of $101 million. At Paul George's maximum, that fifth year would be worth almost exactly $40 million. That's a whole lot of money. We could expect that that is more than Paul George would get at that time. We don't know that for sure, obviously. We don't know where the cap's going or anything like that or how good Paul George is going to be four years from now. But the security of that kind of an offer is certainly valuable to him. There is also the difference between 5% raises and 8% raises, but that is not nearly as important as the fifth year. Yes, and the history of five-year 30% max contracts given to players of Georgia's current production level and age is a bad one. You know, this is the Darren Williams contract. This is the Blake Griffin contract. Although I think Georgia's a little 
little better than Griffin this year or or in the year that he would be signing the contract 28 and yeah when you're 32 40 million dollars a year that is a lot of money and we're talking about a guy in George who is you know maybe at best the 15th best player in the NBA now the good news for signing this contract for whoever's going to be signing it is at least his skill set will age pretty well you know even if he's not a star any longer he's probably gonna be able to shoot the ball and he's still gonna have size and he's gonna be a good defensive player so and those players of course are extremely valuable so there's at least that aspect of it now that said hey why are we even discussing it like he's clearly gonna have multiple max offers but for him you know there might be something to getting that fifth year especially for a guy who has been through the horrific injury that he suffered however if he cares about competing for championships it's nearly impossible for me to construct a scenario in which this okc team can get into championship contention during the life of a contract that he would sign because russell westbrook is going to be going downhill and then they of course have i wanted to say zero financial flexibility it's probably less than zero because if they just bring back the same team that they have this year they're going to be paying like one of the largest maybe the largest luxury tax bill in history and there's just no way that they can do that so i mean they're gonna it's difficult to imagine how they're gonna have even as much talent as they had this year if he resigns there for the Mac. Yeah, it's a real big problem for the Thunder. And Steven Adams is, while I, I feel solid about his contract, he still has three more years, about $25 million a year. So if you combine that with Russell Westbrook making $40 million per thereabouts for another for these five years, including that player option that he has for the last one, thanks to the designated veteran extension rules, with Paul George, OKC would just have zero flexibility. What Even if theoretically Mello terminated, you know, did his early termination option and left as a free agent, they still wouldn't have flexibility. Then they wouldn't have to worry as much about the tax. So that gives you an idea how deep they're into this. And as is so often the case with teams like this, there would be a lot of pressure to spend on the margins to make this team a little bit better. And that gets into guys like Jeremy Grant, you know, theoretically what they want to do with the mid-level exception and all those kind of things. So it's like, hey, if you're spending on Westbrook, Adams, and George, then it gets it gets pricey to do everything else. But it would be, it's pretty bad to really leave something significant on the table when you've already committed to those guys yeah and really i mean as you mentioned there's just they've got robertson as well you know who knows if he's going to be the same player i mean maybe maybe they can spin it it's like oh if we had robertson we'd really be in there you know among the best but especially being in the western conference it just seems so difficult to me now of course you know we'll talk more about this when we just discuss the the overall free agent crop among the wings but for george you know certainly he's been linked with the lakers for quite some time he if lebron james wants to go there there's a clear path there to going there and being a very very good team although even if he were to just go there as the lone star then they just you know they roll over their cap space again to 2019 or they still have all these young players i might even still just like their future better than okc's over the next four years anyway uh even i mean i think and then you know philly i'm sure unless they get lebron is going to get into the mix for george as well i mean that's one where first of all you're going back to the east secondly you're joining a team that advanced further than oklahoma city did and was better than oklahoma city already this season westbrook is going to be on the decline in oklahoma city too so i mean really the only reason to me and you know let's face it russell westbrook is probably not the most fun guy to play with even if it by all accounts that they've gotten along pretty well as people so unless it's just purely about the money i don't really see why he would want to stay do do you feel the same way i do and 
the one other thing I want to mention, and I'm actually going to, I'm thinking I'm going to write a piece on this for Real GM, is there are a few decisions out there that would be the, I'm calling them in my head, the alarm bell decisions. And one of them would be Paul George opting in. And the reason why that would be the case is because it is a clear sign to me that something else is going on. And so the the parallel here would be Chris Paul. Chris Paul opted in to facilitate a trade. And so I'm sure some OKC fans would see Paul George opting in, like if that's the way it's reported by Woj or Shams or whoever. I go, oh, that's awesome. But no, that means something else is going on. So if you see that, think bigger move, something else in play involving maybe a team that doesn't have cap space or something else. And he wouldn't exercise that option until the very last possible moment just to keep all of his options open and he doesn't have the deadline to do that until june 29th so we wouldn't find that out uh, until i think a trade were to occur um so if they if they were to keep paul george i mean they're basically looking at minimum contracts to bring in uh they'd be so far into the tax eric pincus has been talking about oh well maybe they could stretch carmelo or buy him out and stretch him to keep george and that's really the only way that i think they could reduce their luxury tax payment to a reasonable level just to give you an idea here paul george's contract it would be estimated to start at 30.3 million next year if he were to sign that and they bring back everyone else even with only 10 players on the roster and obviously they have to fill out this actual roster too they're looking at 27 million dollars over the tax and a 73 million dollar tax payment and then let's say you throw in just another just to fill out the roster you're gonna have to have another probably eight million dollars in in salary oh that eight million dollars just jacked your tax payment up to 105 million so there's just absolutely absolutely zero way whatsoever that they could bring back george for his maximum and also just retain the rest of this roster and you know they can cut kyle singler that would really break into that and when you're at such a high tax level and i accept expect singler to be stretched the moment the year turns over he's making five million they could try to use terrence ferguson as a sweetener to get off some contracts they've got patterson and abrina still they've got robertson but robertson is supposed to be a big part of why he's coming back to begin with and i mean so you could have carmelo steven Adams, Westbrook, George, Robertson, and then basically all minimum contracts. And if you did that, you might be able to get to something close to manageable. But that's for like a championship contender that you're going to pay that amount, right? You're this team flamed out in the first round, and it's hard to see how they're better next year if they lose all their depth and they just have minimum contracts coming in for depth. Even if Robertson does return, and maybe Ferguson could look a lot better. We're, we're not even talking about them re-signing Jeremy Grant as well, like they, who is unrestricted. They have full bird rights on him, but you know he's going to get some offers that are going to be difficult for them so that's another reason to me why it seems so difficult for him to come back you know if they were in the west finals this year then maybe it changes the equation but with this such a disappointing year i think with and really everyone a year older next year other than steven adams is really the only guy i think you can expect to play much better unless someone like a ferguson breaks out it doesn't really make sense for this group to stay together one other quick note on stretching mellow certainly a good idea to lower their their tax burden for the 18-19 season but they're not getting out of that money they're just moving it on to other years and if they're bringing back Paul George presumably to do that the cap will go up in future seasons, but OKC does not really have a ton of money coming off the books. Singler's money for 1920 is non-guaranteed, but if they're stretching him, then there's some money added on for him. And eventually they're going to have to sign, you know, depth pieces and all that kind of stuff. So it would save them money in the immediate. And I do think that they would consider doing it in that case, but it would be more of a delayed pain rather than an alleviation. Yeah, And maybe what they could think about doing, we don't need to get into this too much, is trading Steven Adams and trying to just get less expensive 
expensive that way uh, because it, he makes 24 million that's probably a little bit overpaid for what he's giving them and it's just especially when you consider the value of a replacement that you could get a center who you know adams is a unique talent in a lot of ways but uh, still it, on this team he may just be too expensive uh, carmelo you know what would you think if they're going to do a buyout with him i mean maybe he gives back like you know, Dwayne wade gave back a lot he actually gave back like something like eight million or, or so this year i don't see carmelo necessarily doing that next year uh and then if george leaves you know they kind of might need carmelo to just have some kind of a secondary score and maybe just hope that he can play a, a little bit better and, and let's not forget too in case you're thinking of trading him he still maintains that no trade so he could veto that i mean it's really if he's not going to be on the team next year it's almost certainly via a buyout or just straight up getting released and stretched also worth noting that if paul george leaves assuming Melo stays on his you know stays on his contract the thunder will not have cap space this is not a circumstance that there's a parallel here with demarcus cousins in new orleans where oh you lose a max guy that means you have max space no not at all what it would do is give the thunder real estate under the tax line to probably both re-sign jeremy grant if they want to and use the middle level exception but they would not have cap space they could not replace paul george with that 20 million dollars or thereabouts yeah if they were to stretch carmelo then yeah basically even without george they're right at the cap so that would give them room maybe to re-sign grant for example and i think grant's a pretty valuable player for them you know i I, they're not going to get a player i don't think who's as good as him you know maybe if they had the full mid-level they might be able to but uh with if they are kind of using the mini mid-level and they're worried about the tax and scrounging every dollar you know being able to exceed the cap keep him with full bird rights is useful uh a little bit more house housekeeping here their first round pick is owed to minnesota back from the ns canter trade yeah that wasn't a very good trade by the way <laughs> to give up reggie jackson and a first round pick for Cantor and Dion waiters they probably could really use that pick right now uh and they're also really hamstrung as well and don't forget they traded you know that kind of weirdly protected first rounder out in the future as well for grant that's their 2020 first rounder that is top 20 protected basically and they are not on pace to lose that pick at this point but it's still compounds their future dealings in terms of trading first round picks Uh, so their ability to use picks to try to get out of this financial crunch is limited josh hustis they declined his fourth year option probably a good move uh, as a guy who didn't play that much but if they did want to bring him back they would be limited to paying him uh 2.2 million which is what his fourth year rookie option would have been they've also got nick collison who maybe they'll just bring him back as a mr thunder but i think they need that roster spot i mean you've harped on this that they could really use someone who could actually play in that spot Corey brewer you know same thing just minimum contract don't really have the means to exceed the cap to resign him they would have to dig into some kind of an exception there um anything else you want to say on these guys and the same with raymond yes, felton yes, thank you the same with raymond same felton, with yeah. yeah so and the thunder do have two super late second round picks big whoop and it, it it's hard because it looks to me like what we're going to end up seeing here is something very similar to the 2016-17 thunder except there's no guarantee that russell westbrook is going to be that russell westbrook again and we saw the herculean effort that was required for him to lead that team to the playoffs he justifiably won the mvp that year and 
that's pretty much what their team's going to be. There could be some, you know, little breakout guys. I think Patrick Patterson should have a better year next year than he did this year, but they don't have a ton of flexibility with or without Paul George. And it's, it's going to be a tough, a tough time for them, but you know, they'll, they'll just have to deal with that. There's not, there's nothing they can really do to make it better. They just have to deal with what comes. One other note, Russell Westbrook is first eligible to be traded on September 29th, 2018, one year after signing that designated player veteran extension. And oh, I had one more yes. small note too. Technically, Alex Sabrinas is, is going to be extension eligible in July. It's a very, it's a thing with the new CBA because he signed a three-year contract and it's the second anniversary of that. So they could agree to an extension. The value of that for both sides would probably be just locking in that kind of, locking in a salary. Presumably he would leave some money on the table. I don't expect to happen, but wanted to mention it. Yeah, that is something we will focus on a little bit more of what, which guys are extension eligible and they don't have any rookies who uh, will be eligible for an extension this offseason either. Uh, I mean, we should probably take a position on this. Gun to your head. Is Paul George staying or going somewhere else? Going somewhere else. Yeah, I I think so. You didn't even have to put a gun to my head. Maybe just like a a knife or... No, you could just ask me nicely. Ah, uh, yes, that's uh rudely rudely maybe I'd reluctantly give you an answer cuz that's not good. But yeah, I mean, and with with George it's more complicated. I mean, it's less complicated than some of these guys just because he doesn't have also the connection, the long connection with the franchise. There isn't any of this circumstance of, "Oh, you 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 know, you gave your blood, sweat and tears to this organization for 10 years and you left for somebody else." It's like, "No, he was there for a year. He did a good job. He worked hard." And if he wants to go of his own volition, by all means. I guess we should mention a little bit too. Like, let's say George leaves. They would have access to uh, the mid-level exception if they move on from Carmelo as well. I mean, is there anyone out there who might be someone who would help them for the the mid-level? The the full mid-level, 8.4, 8.5 million? I mean, they'll be looking for a 3 and D wing just like everybody else in their brother. Yeah, good luck. Right. And presumably, I I think of Ferguson more as a 2 than a 3. So you'd be looking more for a small forward. Good luck with that. That's even more in demand so you're going to hear this name a lot but james ennis would be interesting there i don't think for that full value right. just there aren't so many wings so you're going to be you know he'd be in that mix maybe second more of a second unit type of guy because tyreek overlaps with westbrook but tyreek evans could be useful for them just just as another guy who's capable with the ball in his hands but i mean outside of that it's, it's slim pickings and the, yeah. the few players that do remain are going to be so in demand that i think their price is going to go maybe not over okc but i think other teams will have a more interesting argument than the thunder will yeah i I mean a few that you might mention there's been rumors that garrett temple might decline his player option that could be someone they might look at will barton although he might be a little out of their price range they certainly would love to get another score but keep in mind they're gonna have to get you know some backup point guards as well Uh, we'll see if felton wants to come back there if he he'll have other options you know a a wayne ellington i mean maybe just more of a shooter than a three and d guy just because you don't feel like you have a a three and d guy and they already got rob Robertson to play defense so maybe maybe it's more of a two that they feel like they need like a joe harris might be someone they could look at marco bellinelli could be someone that they could look at you know that's kind of the level that we're talking about here uh i don't think that they're really i don't think they would be able to get into the market for like a trevor ariza necessarily and that's that's of course if everything you know, plays out in this specific way financially i mean they're basically looking at minimum contracts if they bring back george so all right we'll talk uh miami heat here but first this from wink well, 
would you do if you wanted to pick out a wine that you're gonna like but that you've never had before like where would you start if you wanted to do that i never had any idea until i was introduced to wink w-i-n-c is how you spell it and they make it easy to discover great wine by shipping wines that are personalized for you right to your door and they do that with their proprietary palette profile quiz so they'll ask questions like how do you feel about blueberries or how do you take your coffee and then wink will send you wines that are curated to your taste and they've really succeeded with me my sister who's now the bar manager of this really nice restaurant in chicago came into town i'm always a little intimidated that i feel like i'm not going to have good enough stuff for her to drink and i was like oh i i still have one of the bottles left over from my last wink shipment it was a blend from wonderful wine company and so i hadn't tried it yet i i poured it i was a little nervous and she took a few sips and she's like this is great like where did you get this like you don't know anything about wine <laughs> and, and i was like yes that is true i don't know anything about wine but i was able to take this palate profile quiz and, and they sent me this awesome wine and then the more wines that you get you can rate them and then they will personalize even better for your monthly selections and they have new delicious wines. They have a, a summer water rosé. Good time for summer. And there aren't any membership fees. You can skip any month. You can cancel any time. They cover shipping. And if you don't like a bottle, they'll replace it with one that you love as you're on your way to filling out your palette profile. So what to get started with them is trywink, T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash capspace to get $20 off your first shipment. That's trywink.com slash capspace. Easy to capspace. We will be talking about it quite a bit here as we go through our off-season previews. Try wink.com slash cap space is that url let them know that you came from us let's turn now to the miami heat this is the fourth year that we've done this now and we talk about how just half of the league is in such difficulty financially and the heat certainly are one of those teams it seems like ages ago that they actually had enough space to offer a max contract to gordon hayward however rather than do that uh, because he didn't want to come there they then were forced to wait on him and then they re-signed most of the guys that they brought in that gave them some success in 2016-17 now however what does their cap situation look like with these contracts going forward Danny they don't have a ton of flexibility it's also worth noting at the outset that Miami does not have much in the way of they don't have a ton of flexibility at the start of like 20 of these we'll just like (laughs) I'll I'll create a drop I'll create a drop like I did with Feldman's wait 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 we had a deal which we used a couple times back (laughs) in the day and so but what makes Miami a little bit different and why I think their situation is more problematic than most in terms of if they wanted to really make a change is that they don't have much in the way of expiring contracts. So Miami has, they're going to be pushing right up against the luxury tax and I'll get into the mechanics of that in a second. But what I want to start with is if they wanted to really duck under it, there isn't a clear cut way to do it because while they, they have a lot of players that are on, you know, reasonable or reasonable S deals, none of them are expiring. You know, Whiteside, Tyler Johnson, Goran Dragic all have player options for 2019-20. And then all the guys they signed this past offseason, James Johnson, Deion Waiters, Kelly Olenek, Josh Richardson, those guys all have many years left. So if they decide to go in that, you know, shaving direction, there just isn't much real estate to do it. And why that matters is because sometimes how I like to do books is you think about, well, okay, what are they at? And then how does this contract fit in? So what I did with them is I cleared off all their pending free agents and then put in just fillers for 
minimum contracts to get them up to where they have to be. And with going that approach and picking up the non-guarantee on Rodney Magruder, because that's a good option to pick up, they would have $2.7 million below the tax. And that does not include Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington is going to, of course, make more than $2.7 million. So if they want to bring him back, they either need to go over the tax, maybe they can duck under it later, or they need to kind of clear some money. So like they have to, they have to figure all this out. And that's the limited flexibility that they're dealing with. If I were going to go through and say, because clearly if this is a Heat team that wants to be better than, you know, a lower rung seed in the East, they might get some internal improvement, but other guys are going to decline. Whiteside, Dragic, James Johnson, those guys are, are on the downside. Ellington, even if they bring him back, is not going to be as good. You know, you could hope that maybe Tyler Johnson gets a little better. He doesn't seem like a huge high upside guy. Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, those guys certainly get better. Bam Adebayo could get better, but there's nobody there who really has superstar type of upside upcoming for this team if they wanted to just make a trade to kind of shuffle the deck a little bit and see if they could come up with just a little bit better combination of players here's who i think is a value contract right Dragic, 18 million this year 19 million player option the next year kelly olenic making about 11 million he's got three years left on it per season about three years left on his deal i, I think that's a, a value contract i think that's a, he's a guy that people would be interested in that price uh justice winslow certainly you know he's extension eligible this offseason he'll be a fascinating extension case out of bio and then josh richardson who's making a little over 10 million over the life of a four-year deal that just kicks in uh, for this season and, and that that is maybe the best value contract on this team josh richardson is a really good player three and d guy can, can guard threes in a lot of situations but there's nobody there who's going to net you a treasure trove maybe there's a guy who if you attach him to a bad contract you could create some flexibility but also out of bio winslow richardson like those are the good players on this team that they're hoping are going to be there so i don't really see what accomplishing or what trading away those guys would accomplish similarly their negative contracts are fairly unambiguously negative and that's a, a problem because then it gets harder to really clear them so like hassan whiteside he has a player option for 2019-20 i think we both assume he's going to pick that up so then you assume as i would oh, sorry. you assume as i would that hassan whiteside treated as a two-year 52 million about remaining contract and so that's a lot of money and there it's not all negative value you know it's not all dead money because Whiteside can provide some value but they're not the heat are not going to get out of that it's not like they can clear it and so then you get into these awkward situations because it's a two-year contract of a, saying to a team sure Whiteside is an upgrade for you but how much are you willing to basically take on so if that answer is like eight million then maybe you start to get into moving him let's say for Timofey Mozgov like Mozgov makes 16 million each of the next two years or thereabouts so maybe Brooklyn thinks well you know we could do that there are worse things we could do with our money than upgrade from Timothy Mozgov to Sun Whiteside but center is not a premium position in the modern NBA and most teams that have flexibility either through a trade or that or or just taking on the money and try to fiddle the difference with filler are, aren't going to be seen there going well that's the best thing we can do with our money because he's a center and because he certainly has some well, baggage and he also turns 29 on June 13th and the idea that he's going to get better he's coming off an injury filled year I think he'll play a little better next year than he played this year for that reason although he is getting older getting out of the heat system might not be great for his conditioning either and for teams that could use an upgrade you mentioned the Nets the Nets just aren't at a place where it would make sense to acquire Whiteside especially because they have so prized their culture over the years uh I don't think that like Whiteside and D'Angelo Russell would be a fantastic fit from a culture standpoint or an effort standpoint either so I'm not really sure I mean there definitely are teams for whom Whiteside would be 
an upside you know maybe or an upgrade i should say you know maybe like the wizards might be interested in trading him for Jan mahimi you know and i think for miami they could move on from Whiteside and not really get much worse so they could make a purely transact financially focused deal and the amount of money that they could save from Whiteside would be important to them because they are as you mentioned so close to the tax and this doesn't seem like the kind of team you would want to pay tax for i mean other than the wizards are there any teams that you're just like this is a team that's trying to win and Whiteside would actually be an upgrade for him for them before you even start talking about the financials where just hey hassan Whiteside would help this team i have a couple ideas one well i think porzingis should be a center long term the knicks have just a ton of dead or deadish money so that you could make a case that he would just help well, they them could use another center as, as a different <laughs> of course <laughs> and, and but Kander is more movable because assuming he picks up his player option that's just a one-year deal i think you could find a team that was open to that just for other money that's on the books the other one i thought of and i don't love this for a bunch of different reasons but portland if they're not comfortable paying nurkic whatever i think nurkic's market is going to end up being favorable to the blazers but let's say i'm wrong on that if they did something involving evan turner and whiteside you know they are getting more expensive but theoretically then maybe nurkic would be coming off their books and then they have a a fallback in case zach collins isn't isn't ready to deliver i mean then you or you could balance those two guys and you got 48 pretty good minutes at center it's funny that you call him a fallback because that is certainly what he will be doing in their scheme he will he will never ever leave the paint uh you know it occurred to me that maybe phoenix could be an option but they're not going to want to take on money past 2019 you know uh unless and that's the other problem of course that we haven't talked about yet is miami if they want to try to make a trade for more established talent they owe their 2018 pick already to phoenix and now they would be able to trade as soon after the draft their 2019 pick but then they also owe their 2021 pick unprotected to phoenix so they could would be looking at trading either 2019 or 2023 but you know you already didn't have a draft pick this year you're not going to have one in 2021 that's not very smart as a franchise to just keep punting away draft picks just ask the new orleans pelicans about that so and phoenix whiteside wouldn't be a great fit there anyway because you know it's not clear whether they're trying to win they're talking about that a little bit milwaukee has been discussed there's no no real way to make that work financially uh the bucks have their own tax problems and whiteside oh another team that could if if whiteside would just want to move a little bit up florida the magic have a bunch of mediocre contracts that they could throw in i mean biombo for whiteside with some filler would would absolutely work yeah again though given where the magic are as a team getting a 29 year old center who's cost that amount of money doesn't really seem to make a ton of sense dallas maybe could be an option if dallas wants to go it but really that's going to be more of a hey here we've got some space how about we do this trade and you give us an asset so i'm not really sure you know would miami be willing to throw justice winslow into a trade like that and, and dallas actually has cap space this league year as well and they will next next summer so maybe if dallas strikes out and whatever their free agent aims are they were interested in Whiteside before but the, you know i think it would take a very significant inducement for them to want to bring in Whiteside. and yeah i mean so i mean my prediction is that Whiteside ends the season on this team let's talk about some of their free agents so you mentioned ellington you know i think his market they do have early bird rights on him so that would be plenty to bring him back you know uh 175 percent of his prior salary but and he made six this year they also have the Dwayne wade situation which is an interesting one you know it sounded a little bit like wade might want to retire with waiters coming back you know maybe wade would usurp waiters role but there's not really a huge chance for him i mean they do need one more guy who can do something 
getting off the dribble on this team i mean it's basically just wade and dragic but you know does wade want to play a backseat role they're not going to be able to pay him at all is the other thing right i mean they would have to break into one of their exceptions probably the taxpayer mid-level and that's only five and a half million dollars is it really worth it for wade to come back for that or not you know hard to say i mean he played for the minimum this year he tried the ring chasing didn't really like that so if i had to guess it would be that wade would retire but because it doesn't seem like oh he's just going to come back for the minimum and and they kind of have some other needs here they have a million shooting guards already on this roster i agree with you and they could even try to do something creative with wade of like oh maybe he doesn't have to travel for games or in the regular season or something like that but i i just don't see that as really being what miami wants to do and i don't see it necessarily as being something wade wants to do so they i I expect him to to retire as well i would not have said that had this year gone differently but especially with cleveland turning as poorly as it did i think that was informative for wade and going back to miami being comfortable having a life there it seems like that is important to him so i think the ball is really in his court miami benefits in this case from not having much financial flexibility because they can just say hey we can't do any more than this and he can decide to take it or leave it and it is unfortunate also that miami they have a bunch of perimeter players but they don't really have many that can defend threes so they can slide around a little bit to accommodate wade they've done this with playing josh richardson at small forward and and numerous other things i mean magruder's played a lot of the three as well but there just isn't that much that they can really do with this and with tyler johnson being immovable because he's making 19 million a year now that the bump kicked in from his big contract from that was that was the nets yeah and josh richardson they don't want to move him because josh richardson's a really good basketball player then there just isn't much of a place for what all right anything else we need to talk about with these guys they don't have their pick uh they don't have their second rounder either they don't have a second until 2022 yeah due to various luxury tax avoidance moves Uh, one one we should just talk about briefly is just you mentioned it briefly but justice winslow being eligible for an extension that's probably more of a september october thing but it'll be very interesting considering where this team's books are and i mean winslow certainly showed some signs this year but it'll lead into one of these big questions of what will players and their agents take away from what is likely to be an exceedingly team-friendly and tepid offseason will that freak players out into taking less money on an extension or will they still hold firm and and bet on themselves yeah and they are going to need some more playmaking especially if wade does not return you know i I think derrick rose although it seems like the writing's on the wall for him to come back to minnesota derrick rose or isaiah thomas you know those reclamation project type of guys who can create some shots in the second unit i I think could be helpful for them they probably won't have enough money to go after tyreek evans uh, unless a trade is made the other thing that maybe they could think about doing is looking at a sign and trade for a restricted free agent i think that like dante exum could be an interesting target for these guys just because you know maybe he at least has a lot of upside and the jazz might be thinking about you know we've got donovan mitchell does dante really fix fit with him that much like wouldn't we be better to try to get one of these role players uh, you know who's making about what dante exum might want in in a starting salary you know not even saying him necessarily but uh to see or maybe like an alfred payton reclamation project type of thing um but that might be something they could look at because they do have useful role players that could help winning teams but maybe you know are a little redundant on this roster and so that type of a a trade for a younger player who has some upside probably won't realize it but at least gives them a chance of getting a star level of talent but may not have the playing time to develop on his present team and then you know one of these role players who is is solid but you know isn't going to push the heat to the next level you know that that's a type of trade that could make sense to me for this certainly and i was just looking through briefly at the what the list would be of miami like body transfer 
transformation candidates and player the other kind of reclamation Gershon project. Yabisele, I mean, Raven very F- available. <laughs> Raven Felton would be my favorite. <laughs> well, he's already thirty three. It might be it might be too late for old old Raymond. I'm afraid. But if the, this isn't really a great year for body based reclamation projects. Well, that, that's so an interesting. I, I yeah, don't. That's ha- an interesting one. Of I, I actually thought at one point that we should do a whole segment on a podcast about this about like guys that might like Julia Locafort is kind of of that. Yeah. I mean, but he's gotten thinner in Brooklyn. Yeah. No, that's a, that could be an interesting one to look at it as well. Oh, and one one other note with with Miami, considering their structure, it would be I would be very intrigued to find out like if I talked to somebody in their front office if they traded Whiteside for basically somebody who's cheaper but more of dead salary, basically so they could keep Wayne Ellington or something of like in that in that arena. Noah's probably too big, but Mozgov's probably a, a decent proxy for that. Let's say that happens. Would they be willing to stretch probably the second year of that contract because that would alleviate some of their pressures for next year but it's not like mammy's books get much cleaner after that so maybe they would just because then at that point 2019-20 gets a lot more manageable and then tower johnson expires and maybe they'll keep him but it'll be cheaper so they could go in that direction i'd be interested to see what they're thinking about that kind of financial outlay here's one for you since you especially you mentioned the body part do you think that a sign-in trade for Jabari Park would be something that, like, the, and I know the Bucks have some free agent ambitions, so maybe, you know, it might be if Parker wants $20 million a year for four years or something, and Miami could put together some salaries that would match that, that the Bucks might be interested in. You know, Kelly Olenek would be a wonderful fit with the Bucks, for example, at least in the regular season. I don't know about in the playoffs or... Or at least that they could, or that they could flip to a third team, and then Milwaukee could use space or something else like that. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. I would. I think Jabari would be a wonderful fit with this Heat team. Yeah, that, that would be an interesting one too. I mean, and, and maybe it would be Justice Winslow going back in that transaction. And, uh, you know, th- those are a lot of guys whose values are probably very disparate depending on who you ask around the league. And, and But anything with that would require the Bucks to take on money past the summer of 2019, which they may not be willing to do. But uh, I mean, it was interesting, actually. Giannis said Jabari is not going anywhere uh, with him being a restricted free agent. That was, uh, I didn't think that that augured particularly well for for the Bucks. Uh, if in fact Giannis really wants him to stay, that uh, seems like step one in giving him a terrible uh, contract. It, it seems like Jabari. It just seems like Giannis just wants people to stay. I mean, remember all the stuff with Jason yeah. Kidd. So, oh god, the, the game might just of be him on being... that was so funny. Uh, <laughs> It was really. This might have been the best one yet. Uh, we've got a couple of quick little news items uh, before we depart here. In Detroit, Tom Gores wants Stan Van Gundy to return as coach. Remember, he's in the final year of that five-year, thirty-five million dollar deal that he signed. But he wants structural changes to the front office. Part of the discussion has centered on the future role of general manager Jeff Bauer, which I assume would mean that Jeff Bauer would no longer be the general manager. Uh, Van Gundy so far is resisting any changes not a surprise so i i do feel like it seems like this is going to end up with van gundy leaving because it just it doesn't really seem to make sense to leave him as coach one more year when he's a lame dunk he's duck and he's going to be agitating for more in terms of a, a contract extension or something like that just to be the coach even uh and he was very adamant about getting personnel power and i don't think that he would admit that he hasn't done a good job you know even though i think that has kind of been the case he's had some successes but obviously 
made some pretty big failures as well he was the one who engineered this Blake Griffin trade doesn't really seem to have worked but you know of course in Woj's article there was a little bit of the spin presumably coming from the side of Van Gundy of how oh they were eight and four when Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin both played so uh that that's my that's my favorite one since DeAndre Liggins the Bucks had like some good record when DeAndre Liggins played like x number of minutes or more or something yeah we'll see and a couple of option pieces of news Corey Joseph picked up his so he will be a pacer next year assuming they don't trade him at 7.9 million did that surprise you West, it surprised me that it happened this early but I mean I think players are seeing just how narrow this market is going to be and with with Corey Joseph I could see the argument for him being he's not really he could get a multi-year contract that would probably be a little bit lower in annual value but I am my instinct is that this season is not you know another season on the pacers is not exactly going to hurt him in the book so I am surprised a little bit but not super surprised yeah and I think it may be more about you know I, I think he could certainly go out there and get more guaranteed money than the 7.9 million that he's owed for next year but maybe the thinking is hey if we wait one more year still pretty young I think he's like 27 or something uh that we can just do better in a long-term deal in the summer of 2019 now whether that becomes the case with so many players taking that approach I mean we saw how this can how it can change when everybody decides to zig in one direction and now you have so many more free agents the next year that you know it didn't really work that well for you but I think it makes sense for him that's clearly seems to be the strategy didn't seem like he had an offer in the full mid-level exception type of range out there though the the market for backup point guards is always a, a decent one and, and the other thing too is that he doesn't know whether Darren Collison will be back in Indiana either so as maybe there's a chance that he'll end up being as the starter I think the Pacers probably bring back Collison at, at that 10 million non-guarantee they'll have to decide on that pretty quickly but you know if he gets to be the starter there then yeah absolutely you come back for that and hopefully you can really build up your value to some degree and then uh you know we should maybe turn to the los angeles clippers where surprisingly enough forward wesley johnson has exercised a 6.1 million dollar player option for next season yeah, he could have done this a year ago. Saved us a little bit of time on the podcast. <laughs> I, I'm assuming he's still in rehabilitation for his ankles and pride after James Harden ruined him. But I, I still, you know, there's still something to like about Johnson as a low, low-end rotation player. And it was consistently surprising that he was getting minutes over Sam Decker. We talked about that a little bit on the Young Prospects pod. And Nate, we have one other one other piece of news that I'm not sure you've heard yet because it happened while, while we're recording this. No, because I give 100% of my attention to this podcast and I never look at twitter my former colleague shams trania tweeted that david fisdale has gained serious traction in the new york knicks search for a next head coach well and that makes a lot of sense to me because i think fisdale uh, if we were assume that terry stotts is going to stay put which we haven't heard anything out of there since that initial kind of jag of rumors uh after their season ended i think fisdale looks to me like the number two guy on the market right now and as we talked about on the patreon mailbag the other day the knicks are probably the number two job out there behind the bucks and then there's a, a lot of flotsam below that the knicks at least you know it's new york and they pay coaches well so and the organization has struggled with their relationship with Kristaps porzingis it seems like fizzdale despite his issues with marcus old generally has been known as a relationship builder throughout his career so that would not surprise me uh i think budenholzer would be more interested in the bucks i think that he's such a great fit there and budenholzer to me is the clear top coaching candidate on the market right now so that number two going to the number two job that kind of all seems to make a little sense i'm a little bit disappointed you weren't just celebrating the return of of traction to the lexicon <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, it makes sense as a fit. I mean, Fisdale going there, and he's popular among players. And you remember the, with the stuff that my the Miami guys were saying when Fisdale got fired by Memphis because he had been an assistant there before. And in a big market, a player-friendly coach is a very good thing. Well, that tweet from Shams does remind me that I have to uh, get my summer tires put on my car. So uh, th- thanks for that, Shams. Uh, all right, that'll do it for today. And we'll be back to talk about both games uh, on Thursday. Really weird that the East has two games on Thursday. I'm not sure yeah, why they and did that the that. first game on a weekday starts at six Eastern. Well, we'll be doing Twitter NBA show for that. We're doing it tonight as well, though you'll uh, have already we'll already know what happened in that game because we're recording this during the day, and then I realized that we just did the the summary of that Utah Houston game before this, so that just sounds <laughs> totally weird. But no, we will never edit. We'll never edit anything on this show. You are getting you're getting the the raw unfiltered dunked on that's the only way we know how to do it so uh with that we will talk to y'all tomorrow night and also programming reminder we will have another podcast on friday night since there'll be two games we skipped monday so we'll be going all the way through thursday and friday night this week so we'll talk to y'all the whole rest of the week till then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.